all about speaking in tongues. And that speaking in tongues is the baptism. No, it is not the baptism in the Spirit. It's a sign that you've received it. It's a sign it's happened. It's not the same. It's not equal. It's not synonymous. So don't confuse that. When you're baptized in the Spirit by Jesus, it's when you get power, prophetic power, to now be, to, to, that's a launching pad for you now to move into a powerful ministry. Amen? I like that amen. I'm hearing amen a lot. That's good. Verse, verse 12, Acts 1, it says, When the apostles returned to Jerusalem... Now, this hasn't happened yet. This hasn't happened yet. What's happened is that Jesus has ascended. And in verse 9, it talks about a cloud had hit him. This is, talk, this is a, what they call a theophany. that The presence of God is there in, in the presence of the cloud. And Jesus is taken into heaven. And in verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath days walked from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And it says in verse 14, it says in verse 14 that they all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So they were all there. They were all, before the Spirit came, folks, not only was there a promise, and not only was the promise of power, but now you've got a group of people who are listening to, or obeying the command of Jesus to go and to wait on the Lord for the gift that He promised them. If you go over to, if you go over to Luke chapter 11, and some of you can get there faster than others, you might be using a digital device. I'm not sure. But if you go over to chapter 11, in the context of Jesus teaching them about prayer. And he says, so I say to you, ask. And he's talking about persistence. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And what is he referring to here? He's referring to the story of the friend. Remember that? The story of the, of the guy who had bread and the other guy goes to his house and he's knocking on the house door and he wants the, he wants the bread and he's like, get out of here, I'm trying to sleep. And, and, and so he just keeps on knocking and he keeps on knocking and he keeps on knocking. Well, finally, it just drives the guy crazy. Here, take some bread, man. Get out of my hair. And so Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It's in the present continuous tense in the Greek. Keep on doing it. Because if you keep on doing it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to receive something. You're going to receive. Because if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. And if you knock, the door is going to be open. And he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts 
to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It sounds to me like maybe those kind of words are ringing in the ears of the disciples as they returned to Jerusalem and they went into that upper room. And Luke reports that they all got together in a big prayer meeting. And they prayed. And they waited. They were unified. Can I tell you one thing about this? And is this, is that unity is a sign of something good. How many know that's one thing church needs today is unity? You got to get, you got to, you got to coot together. You got to coot together. You got to come together. And how many understand we're not all perfect when we come together? Just, just think about who was together in that room. You had Matthew. And they say Matthew was a right-wing conservative. He was a tax collector. And he was in the same group as Simon the Zealot, who was a part of the radical... So politically, they had different leanings. And yet the Bible says that they were together. You had people from different occupational backgrounds. You had anything from fishermen to the more well-educated types. And you had these disciples together, and of course they had their moments of disunity and division. They argued over who was going to be the greatest in all of these things. But they came together. They had one purpose, they had one goal, they had one thing in their mind, and they were waiting for the promise. They were waiting for the power. And they did it as they were praying. They were waiting for the Spirit to arrive. They were waiting in anticipation. They were waiting that something was going to happen great. And folks, we know that it is oftentimes, more often than not, that it's in that atmosphere of unity and prayer is when God does something fantastic. Leonard Ravenhill, on the subject of revival, when he, he once said, he said, whatever we shall say about revival, we have to recognize this, that there are three things about natural life, conception, gestation, and birth. You can't alter the program, and there has never been a revival that I can trace that has not been preceded by agonizing prayer. The revival in the Hebrides in the 1940s, off the northeast northeast of Scotland. You know how that revival started? It started with a teenager. It started with a teenager who rose to pray a long prayer following the opening address of an evangelist. And that, as that young man prayed, people began to fall to the ground under terrible conviction of their sin. And it was so great, the conviction of 
was so great, the Spirit brought such great conviction that the islanders that were fishermen passing by the island were so overwhelmed with an understanding of their sin that they were constrained to pull their boats into the harbor because they were looking for relief. How many know there's something about an atmosphere of prayer? Revivalist Charles Finney believed that revival would follow when people cried out to him, cried out to God. They were constantly together in prayer. They were devoted to it. They were committed to it. I remember when Peter Grimes was here on Tuesday. Peter's a Newfoundland pastor. He just moved from Deer Lake, Newfoundland, not very long ago to Chauvin. And Peter was sharing his testimony on Tuesday. And as he was sharing his testimony, I couldn't help but just kind of get a little closer on the edge of my seat. And was, couldn't help but smile because, like, this is good stuff. And as he was sharing about his, about his life story, he was talking about how he came to the Lord when he, when he was about 19 or so. And he was living in Calgary. And he'd gotten into drugs and he'd gotten into alcohol and so on. And yet he had a powerful encounter with God because his parents were praying for him. And he took his booze and, he, and his drugs and he put them down the toilet and he flushed the toilet and he made the porcelain throne his altar. And with his friends doing whatever they were doing, he's in the bathroom and he's praying out, crying out to God that God would forgive him and God would save him and the Lord did it. And eventually the Lord led him back home And when he got home, to his parents' surprise, he shared about how he came to the Lord, and he said the Lord had spoke to him, placed a call on him for ministry, and he was planning to go to Bible college. And they were over the moon, but they had no money. And so he was able to somehow scratch up 300 bucks and make his way hitchhike to Quebec. And when he got to Quebec, his brother, an older brother who he didn't know all that well, was a pastor in Quebec, and so he stayed with him for a little while, a little while while he was there. And there were people that saw Peter, people that saw Peter when he came to the church. And they looked at Peter and they said, "We're not sure why, but the Lord has led us to give you this." And so he thanked them and he put it away and never thought too much of it until he got just himself in a quiet place and, and he re- remembered what, that he had received something so we opened it up and he had received $1,500 and this isn't in 2017 this is well over 35 years this is probably pushing 40 years ago 19, early 1970s and so Peter found out later on that the people who gave him the money, these farmers, the Lord had spoken to them as they were praying, as he was out working in the field and as she was at home and they were speaking with the Lord, the Lord had directed them and placed that on, upon their heart. And so when they got together and they were asking the question about what they were going to give, they both came up with different numbers. One came up with 500, the other came up with 1,000. And so they put two more days of prayer and came to the conclusion that really what the Lord wanted them to do was actually give the five and the 
1,000 and make it 1,500. And so, so Peter, with 300 in his pocket and 1,500 in his, in, in, now in his pocket, now he's got 1,800 in his pocket, 15 from the farmers, goes to Peterborough, goes up to the register's office and slaps down, and it, not, listen, not one penny more, not one penny less. One year's tuition. It was $1,800. Prayer. Prayer. Pretty good stuff, eh? Amen? Not one penny more, not one penny less. Covered the full year of tuition. Remember, his parents had no money. He never had any money. And yet the Lord provided. He talked about in his church when he left in Deer Lake, a church about four, talked about a number of different things. He talked about how people were getting saved, people were getting healed and so on. And he shared this one story. I just want to share this one little tidbit of this lady that came up and she was coming from a really hard background, really hard lifestyle. He said that she had tattoos from her wrists up to her neck. And she needed a miracle. And he said her liver was pretty much shot. Her kidneys were failing. She needed a miracle. So he and the visiting evangelist paid. And when she went to the doctor and got things checked out again, the doctor said, like, what did you do? Well, she said, well, the pastor and the evangelist prayed for me. Well, whatever you did, he said. You know how doctors are scientifically minded. Well, whatever you did, you got yourself a brand new liver and your kidneys could never function any better. Isn't there just something about the power that's in prayer? Prayer is powerful. Amen? Prayer is powerful. No wonder the Spirit came in the atmosphere of a prayer meeting. No wonder the Spirit was drawn. Why? Because Jesus said that the Father wants to give us a good gift. And He gave the disciples a good gift. Why? Because they were persistent. They were constantly together in prayer in the upper room, asking, seeking, and knocking, and waiting on God to move. Prayer. It opens up the heavens, folks. Luke chapter 3, Jesus at His baptism. And as, Luke writes, and as He was praying opened. We talk about an open heaven. We talk about these types of things. We talk about the presence of God. We talk about clouds and the glory of God. We talk about the manifest presence of God. Folks, Luke 3 is a theophany. It means that God tangibly manifested His presence as the Spirit descended upon Jesus in the bodily, like bodily form as a dove. Prayer transforms another theophany. Look at this. Look, Peter and James went up with him to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying. This is another theophany on the Mount of Transfiguration. The appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. I know that that's, that's a, maybe a different word than you've heard, theophany, but basically it just means that God showed up. Okay? It just means He showed up. He didn't just show up in a feeling. No, no. He showed up in a tangible way. Just like with, with Moses and the, you know, the, the pillar of... Uh, I always get this mixed up. This is terrible. 
It was the cloud and the pillar of fire, right? The burning bush was a theophany. Wind, clouds are often associated with theophany. Remember, there's a cloud in this picture, and there's a cloud when Jesus ascended. Another theophany, this is when God shows up. And can I also go on to say that on the day of Pentecost, when they were together in the upper room, the day of Pentecost, another theophany happens. There's a sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole place. Wind associated with the presence of God. Fire associated with the presence of God. Cloven tongues of fire came and rested upon each one. This is a... If you were a Jewish person hearing this, they would have got it that this is God showing up in response. But notice it. Luke 3, Luke 9, Acts 2, all God showing up in response to an atmosphere of prayer. Whew. How many would say this morning that we need God to show up? We need God to show up big time. We need God to show up to change and transform hearts. We need God to show up and to bring healing and restoration. We need God to show up so that we can receive a refilling. Some of us were were baptized in the Spirit years ago, but some of us folks today, we need an extra dose. Amen? Amen? We need a refilling. Our, we're, we got, we're leaky vessels. One baptism, many fillings. Over and over, you'll see it or you track it through Acts. That there was times when it said, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke with boldness, or they did miracles, or whatever. The power of God was present with them as they were continually filled and refilled with the Spirit. And can I suggest this morning that we got to get back to the basics. we got to get back to corporate prayer. I remember when we were in Yarmouth and we had just first got there. Remember, Christiane? We just arrived, and it was Tuesday night. Tuesday night, we walk into a prayer room. There's 30 people in the prayer room, and we're not just talking 30 adults. There were also teenagers present. I remember when we were in Yarmouth, and, and I'm going to tell you, there was some lady prayer warriors who got to the point where they were sick and tired of the devil coming in and beating their families up and bringing deception and lies and ripping their kids away from the Lord and from the church and so on. And they, I remember, remember, Christiane, they got themselves a, a, a big piece of Bristol board, right? And they began to write down the names. And they would go into the prayer room. No word of a lie. At 4 in the afternoon. And 6.30 the pastor's at the platform ready to start the service. And you can still hear them in the prayer room. And folks, if the devil, it sounded like an MMA match in there. You thought that they were, the devil was in the octagon with these ladies. And they were putting the kibosh to him. That he was probably... Listen, if the devil were in there, he, he was screaming in pain because they were looking for him to submit. 
and to flee. But can I just say that every time I've heard of churches that said, listen, we're going to make prayer number one priority in our church because we, need, we, because we can't do anything else. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it on our own ingenuity. We can't do it. They get to the point where there's a desperation and they decide that it's very important to be in the upper room. Very important to, be in, to, to create an upper room. To say, we're going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to intercede and we're going to do battle. And we're going to see what the Lord does. Richmond, Virginia. 86, there was a bunch of believers that had gathered together and they gathered together and uh, they, they joined for early morning prayer. And at that time, that city in, in Virginia was the, had the highest per capita murder rate in the entire country of the United States at that time. They were averaging one homicide every day. And after a couple of weeks of prayer, the group that was praying, they decided, look, we're going to attack the strong man that's over this city. Because there's a demonic stronghold over this city. It was murder. It was violence. And for the next 28 days when they attacked that stronghold, for the next 28 days, there were absolutely no reports of any homicide. And there was a high-ranking police official, and he wrote to one of the newspapers, and he said, I don't know what forces are responsible for this remarkable change, but whatever you're doing, keep it up. Hallelujah. Can I ask this question? Are there any strongholds in Vegreville that need to be torn down? And I'm not going to here to try to, to list all the strongholds, but folks, if there's strongholds, if there's demonic forces that have set up their camp and wreaking havoc on the community, I don't know about you, but if it can, I, I believe it, if it can happen in Richmond, Virginia, I think it could happen here. If intercessors can come and go against the strong man in Richmond, Virginia in 1986 and stop the murder and the violence... Could not a group of intercessors interceding on behalf of this community and attacking the spiritual forces that are keeping this place in darkness? Don't you think that maybe, just maybe, God would hear us as we keep on asking and we're keeping on seeking and we're keeping on knocking? Don't you think that maybe God will just show up in power and do something about it? I'm preaching this morning, I'm trying hard. What were the results? What were the results before the Spirit came? Look, they were, remember, the promise of the Father, the promise of power, and they go in and they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And it says, And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, and suddenly, and suddenly, God shows up. The Spirit comes. 
sound of a mighty rushing wind or a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. God showed up. The Spirit came, came in power, empowered the disciples. And you know the rest of the story because you're here because of it. We're here all because of it. Amen? It brought power and, and boldness upon Peter that he could stand up and he could preach Jesus to the crowd as he explained that this is what the prophet Joel had promised. That in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And then he continues on and he begins to, to preach Jesus to them and, and tell them that they need Christ and they come to the place, well, what shall we do? And he calls them to repentance. He calls them, he calls them to repent of their sin, to believe on Jesus, be baptized and you'd receive the gift of the Spirit. We know the rest of the story, we know that the church continued to advance in power. Why? Because God has made a promise. God made a promise. A promise that he would send the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of the promise, and because of that power, and because of what he had said, they obeyed his command to go and to pray and to wait. For God to show up. Now, folks, I'm not saying that we just lock ourselves in a, in a room forever. But can I just say that I, I, I believe that it comes down to this, is that we need to continually, continually be in prayer if we want to see God move, if we want to see God show up, if we want to see God do incredible things in our midst. We continually need to get together to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come together this morning if they would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Maybe there's someone here this morning. If we could stand together, maybe there's someone here this morning. And, uh, you know, if there's anyone here this morning, would there be anyone here this morning that would... That would lift their hand and say, I need, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. Is there anybody here? And if there's not, is there anybody who would say that I, I need to be baptized in the Spirit? You've never been baptized in the Spirit before. You know what Jesus told us? He said to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Why? Because our Father wants to give us good gifts, and the gift of the Spirit is a good gift. Amen? I love giving gifts to my kids, but our Heavenly Father has better gifts. And he wants to give the gift of the Spirit to those who are hungry. And, who are th- and that's not saying that you're not saved. We're not talking about the indwelling of the Spirit. We're talking about that clothing of power. We're talking about being baptized, immersed in the Spirit, so that you have the power and the authority to go forth as a disciple of Jesus and do the things he did representing the kingdom of God, not only in word, but in deed. 
Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, I have never been baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Who would say that this morning? You lift your hand. Not going to take a long time. Maybe there's some folks that would say, you know, I need a refilling of the, of the Spirit. I was baptized one time before, and I can remember that experience that I had, and I remember the boldness that I had, and I remember the enthusiasm I had. I just remember, like, wow, I felt like I could do anything for the Lord, but it's been a while, and you need a refilling of the Spirit. But then my other challenge, so if, there, if you're here this morning, I want you to come, if that's, if that's you, if any of those things are you. But I also want to challenge this, folks, that as a church, how many know that it's, it's, it's when things are going to really happen, it's going to come because we have a church that's, that's in prayer, constantly in prayer. Because we need the life of God. We need the energy of God. We need his power. We need his authority continually, not just in a moment, but we need that, that constant supply of power. Amen? A constant supply of power. So if you're here this morning, and, and if you could lift your hand up and say with me that we want to be a church, we're going to make a commitment as a church to, to prayer together, to pray together. And I'm looking at very soon setting up a time through the week in the evening where a lot of others can come in the evening. I know not, not everybody can come at, at a certain times because of different things, but we're going to set up a time in the evening every week and the church is going to be open. The church is going to be open to pr- for prayer. And I don't know about you, but we need to intercede for, on behalf of the community. We need to intercede on behalf of our church. We need to intercede. And we need to come against the devil. Amen. We need to come against the enemy. And we need to ask God, God, as we pray, would you open up the heavens? As you pray, Lord, would you continue to send the power down? As, you pray, as we pray, Lord, would you begin to, to, to convict souls who don't know you of their sin and their need for, for Christ? Because, folks, the Spirit also convinces the world of sin and righteousness. Amen? So the Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit to do the inward work and the outer, outer work. And, folks, there's no life without the Spirit of God. As I mentioned last week, there's no life without the Spirit of God. There's no restoration. There's no no revitalization of a church. You can do all the other stuff, and there's nothing wrong with the things I mentioned last week, right? Good music and 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 a coffee bar if you want that, and, and all nothing wrong with those things, but there's no life if there's no spirit. There's no life if there's no power. There's no life if the presence of God isn't felt. Folks, what do we want to see? We want to see people that when they come into the parking lot, they feel something different. I remember a guy in St. John, New Brunswick, or he visited a church in St. John, New Brunswick, and he said when he put his hand on the door handle of the building, he felt something different. I know there's people who talk about this, the experience that we create songs that we choose, the way that we do stuff. Not that it's entirely wrong, by the way. I'm not saying that, but folks, we cannot create the kind of experience that comes, that happens, when we have an encounter with the living God. And folks, when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it was another tangible 
manifest the presence of God. Do we need, do you believe the promise? Do you believe it's for us and our children and all those who are far off? Do we still believe that promise is valid? Do we still believe that the power is still available? And do we still believe that in an atmosphere of corporate prayer is when God does amazing things? So there's three things you leave with this morning. It's prayer, it's promise, power, and prayer. Promise, power, and prayer. They were the three things that took place before the Spirit came. And we know the rest of the story. Hallelujah. 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 Could we just lift up our hands and invite the presence of the Lord this morning? See